Um, last week, we started a series on prayer, and Pastor Scott, if you were here, give a little whoop whoop. <laughs> Pastor Scott de- delivered a message called Passionate Prayer, the Power of a Persuaded Heart. And I know it was a lot of information. <laughs> Wasn't it not? Was it not? A lot of information, a lot of truth, and a lot of good information. So we're going to build upon what he spoke about last week and dive into another aspect of prayer tonight. And the next week, Darren Tigelar, who is my mentor, who I mention a lot in, in, in my messages, um, he's going to be speaking. And when I was preparing this series and I said, okay, I want to do a message on prayer, I thought it would be so cool to get... Pastor Scott, who's been my mentor since I became on staff here, and then to also get Darren, who is my mentor from when I was you know, 18 all the way through now, to come and team up with me. I thought it was going to be a great honor and privilege to do that, so that's what we're doing. And next week, Darren's going to be talking about a conversation with God, and how prayer is simply just a conversation. It's, not, it's nothing more, nothing less. It's just a conversation that we can have with God. So, to kick it off, prayer. I want you, um, have you ever had it where you've said this thing, my wife says it all the time, Abby says it all the time, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall for that conversation or like that situation. Have you ever heard that saying before? Do you know what it means? I wish I could have been a fly on the wall, for example, for a conversation between like Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Like I would love just to sit there and just like listen to what they have to talk about. I don't know if they talk about anything or they just yell at each other. But I'd love to be flying on the wall because it'd be comical. So I thought about, you know, what are some um, stories in the Bible that I would love just to have been there to witness, not to be a participant, just to watch it happen, to say, oh my gosh. One of the stories is when Moses parts the Red Sea. I would love to be able to sit there and watch millions of Israelites standing at a sea and all of them doubting, all of them saying, we're dead, we're dead, we're dead, we're dead, we're dead. And one man stands and picks up a staff and it's just, whoosh. I would have loved to have been a flying wall for that. I think it would have been really funny. Nick and I were talking about this right before, uh, around like five o'clock. I'd love to have been the fly on the wall. There's a story about Abraham, about how when God was commissioning him to be the father of, of his nation, he said, I want you to go back. And he said, I want you to circumcise all of your servants. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when he came back and told the servants, you can be a part of our plan, but there's one, <laughs> there's one requirement. Circumcision, And then Abraham says, don't worry, it's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And then everyone's like, did you really just, is talking about, it's in the Bible, I can talk about it. <laughs> I would have loved to have been a fly in the wall for these situations. Maybe another one, when, when, when uh, Mary comes to Joseph, her fiance, and says, I'm pregnant, but I promise I didn't have sex. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> and then she said, no, I promise. I promise. I would love to have been just watch these, these historical accounts happen because we read them in the Bible and we take them for granted, but the, the impact that they had in that moment were so significant. 
And if we can put ourselves in the situations, we can kind of use our imagination and really just wonder about the goodness of God. So we're going to talk about this idea of being a fly on the wall later on. I want you to, to plant that in your memory. We'll come back to it. So, so last week, Pastor Scott talked about passionate prayer, the power of a persuaded heart. And what, to sum up his message, <laughs> if I can do that, what he was getting down to is that it's very important to pray your identity in Christ. It's very important to confess, declare out of your mouth what God sees in you. Because what's so easy to do is for us to pray how we see ourselves. And if we do that, we will be defeated every day of our entire lives. But if we can enter into a realm, into a position where we can go above what we feel and see ourselves from God's perspective and, and declare that over and over again, what that looks like, God, I thank you that you've made me righteous, even though I'm, a lot of my actions are unrighteous. He said, he's called us righteous. I thank you that I'm righteous. I thank you that I'm holy. I thank you that I'm worthy. I thank you that you live inside of me. I thank you that you'll never leave me. I thank you, I thank, and you start praising him about what he's made you to be, you actually might start to believe it. Right. And if we can get that inside of our DNA, inside of our makeup, about the fact and what he sees in us, our prayers will become much more effective because we'll actually pray from a righteous perspective. And James 5, 16 says, the prayer of a righteous man avails much. And it doesn't mean someone who does righteous things, it means someone who knows their identity. But if you just say your identity and you don't know your identity, you're a wave tossed in the wind. You have to know your identity, and that happens through the renewing of your mind, through declaring what God sees day in and day out, no matter how you feel. Day in, day out, day in, day out. You know, and I was, I was thinking about this in the car um, two days ago, this idea of like persuading your heart, this idea of renewing your mind, this idea of changing the way that we think. And, and I had this thought, is it, is it reality or is it truth if we have to convince ourselves, like, if it's just about changing the way we think and convincing ourselves, is it really true? And I was having this conversation with God and, and what he told me was, you're not, you're not training your way into a foreign frame of thinking. You're, you're changing the way you think into how you are supposed to think, if that makes sense. So it's not something that's so unattainable, this renewed mind, this change in the way we think, praying our identity. It's not something that you're convincing yourself of that's not who you're supposed to be. It's actually the very person. It's the, very, it's the way that you were supposed to be in the beginning. And so you're not you're persuading yourself into something that's not truth. You're persuading yourself into who God says you are. And it's through praying and declaring our identity no matter how we feel. So and what happens is we start to become it. We start to live from a place that we know who we are and our prayers become very effective. And so tonight, I'm gonna add on to that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go a little bit further and look at this idea of prayer from a little bit of a different angle, but it's, it's, it's related. And it's the title of the message tonight is called Pray From Heaven. Pray From Heaven. Heaven. So, I want you to think, just, with, just on your own, take a minute, 
and try to calculate how many prayers you've prayed in your lifetime. Somebody throw out a number. How many prayers have you prayed? Let's let's compare. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to do that. (laughs) How many prayers have you prayed in your lifetime? Another question. How many of those prayers have been answered? How many prayers of those have not been answered? So we evaluate which prayers got answered, which prayers didn't get answered. So then what's the secret to getting our answers, our prayers answered. Is there a formula, is there a secret? What's the secret? I don't know the secret. (laughs) But what if our prayers weren't about answers? What if our prayers were supposed to be transformation? What if their sole purpose wasn't to what if the sole purpose wasn't for God to answer your request? And I think that's so foreign to us because the way that we're brought up is, is we have a need, we bring it to God, and we ask him to take care of it for us. And we just hope that by maybe a miracle that it will happen. And that's our prayer life. And myself included, this is, I mean, it's a trap that we all get sucked into. And it was never the purpose of prayer. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is so, I was just looking at this. This is, verse is amazing. These two verses are so profound. I'm going to go through it piece by piece. So verse six, do not be anxious about anything. This means that, that you're going to have situations in your life that are going to cause you to be anxious. It's warning you. There's going to be things in your life that are going to cause you to worry. They're going to cause you to maybe question your situation. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So it's not wrong to present a request to God. It's not wrong to come to God with a need that you have. He's a good God. He wants to know. He wants to be a part of every situation in your life. But it's really important. Verse 7 actually shows us the purpose of why we present our requests to God. It actually shows us what will happen if we position our heart in the correct way when we present our request to God. Verse 7 says, so present your request to God, and this is what's going to happen when we present it. In the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say, present your requests to God and he will answer them. He says, if you come before me and present these things to me, I'm going to give you something so much more valuable than an answered prayer. I'm going to give you something so much more valuable than simply a genie in the bottle. I'm going to give you my peace, which will go with you forever so that when you face any situation, you will say, you know what? God is with me. It's okay. He doesn't want to give you an answered prayer. He wants to give you a brand new life and a whole new perspective to see every situation through. What does God want more? 
Does he want to give you an answer prayer? Or does he want to give you the key to living in victory in every situation? Because if he answers your prayers now, it only sets you up to come to again with another need in desperation towards him to, to come through. And, and, and the opposite thing of thinking is, how about we come to him in a position we represent our requests to him, and he says, okay, I'm going to give you so much grace. I'm going to give you so much peace. I'm going to give you so much sound mind that even if, even if it weren't to happen, even if your request wasn't to come through, it's going to be okay, and you're not going to be shaken by it. But when we position ourselves in front of God in our prayer life, that we come and we say, God, I need you, I need you to do this for me, and it doesn't happen, and we get destroyed by it, that's the place where we start to decline in our relationship with God because he's not real, because he didn't come through. I can tell you right now with complete confidence that, and this isn't a good thing, but I have way more unanswered prayers than I do answered prayers. Way more. Things that I've requested that have not come to pass. Things that I've hoped for that didn't come true. Does that mean it's a lack on God's end? No, it means then I'm okay. Because <laughs> sh- we can't be shaken by it. Because if we're shaken by it, then, then our relationship with God is dependent on what he's given us right. in our temporal world, and it's not how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be all about what he gave us. Right. He gave us Jesus, guys. He gave us everything. Like, we don't need anything else. And so our prayer life is, is not about the requests but it's about the relationship. Prayer is never meant to be a genie in the bottle. It's only meant to, ha- to lead you to a communion with God. It's only meant, meant to prepare your heart to, to receive God's perspective. It's only meant for you to come into this intimacy with God that you've never had before. And how many times have I, so many times, I've gone into my prayer and I've come out either the same or way like more discouraged. I've been like praying about something and you know, like, yeah, whatever. Come on, don't act like that's never happened to you. Come on, it happens to all of us. Thank you, Justin in the back. He's the only honest person here. I'm just messing. So, our prayer is supposed to reveal the heart of God. So when we go into prayer, it's not about him answering our questions or answering our requests coming through on our requests, but it's about knowing him and knowing his heart and coming into a place of such intimacy that we can come before God and thank him and thank him and thank him and pray our identity over ourselves. And then we get into a place where we start to realize it's all about the relationship. It's all about the relationship. It's all about transforming our old self into, into what Jesus looks like. That's prayer. It's what it's all about. So pray from heaven. What is that? How does that relate? How does that relate to what I'm talking about? It's my first point. Our reality is not God's reality. So I want to I want to take you back to the beginning. So God is spirit. He's a spirit. And so God is spirit and God created the heavens and the earth. He created the physical world. So by its very nature, the spiritual world has authority over the physical world. If a spirit created the physical, (laughs) then the spirit is much more superior. So God lives in a reality that's that's so opposite of what we feel. It's It's so foreign to what we sense 
that it's hard for us to put ourselves in his reality. In real, but in, and the truth is, is that God, our very purpose was to put off our old self, to put off our old reality, our human reality, and, and Jesus came so that we walk into his reality. He made it available for us to step into a kingdom. It's called the kingdom of God. He made it available for us to step into this kingdom where we operate with totally different eyes. We operate with totally different thoughts. We operate from a whole different set of laws and instincts. It doesn't happen instantly, but it's the, it's the goal, is that we become more and more in tune with God's reality for our lives. But it doesn't come by accident. You can't just do this on accident. You can, I'm sorry. Romans 12, two. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do not be conformed. What this means. Do not think like the world thinks. From the time that we were kids, and I've said this before, and I, I want to reiterate, it's very important. From the time that you were a little itty-bitty baby, you were taught how to operate in this world. You were taught the, the wisdom of man. You were taught an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If someone gets you, you get them back. You were taught how to respond to situations. You were taught how to pray from a human reality. We all were. We were all taught how to do things from the wisdom of man. And, and what, God is, what Paul is saying here is he's saying, you have to renew your mind to start living in a different reality. We have to put off our old self and walk into this new man that thinks totally different than our old man. It's key, Romans 12, 2. Changing the way that we think, changing the way that we operate. And the thing is, since we're taught, it's very natural, and you don't have to feel bad. I do it all the time. If I'm not careful and I'm not intentional, it's very natural for us to pray from human wisdom. It's very natural for us to pray from a logical standpoint. So I wanna, I wanna kinda model it. So what happens is, so we have a situation, we have a problem, we have a conflict. And we take it, and we have this ladder that we can walk up, walk up on. So we have this reality, and it's staring, us at an, staring at us. Oh, gosh. It's staring at us in the face. It's like looking right at us. This problem is right here. We can't look past it. It's like right here, right here, right here. And instead of taking a, a step up to look at it from a different perspective, we just tackle it from right here. Instead of taking a step up and saying, okay, what's this problem really about? What's this problem really about? And taking at it from a different vantage point, we, we start, we look at our problems. Hopefully I don't fall, holy crap. <laughs> My wife's like, oh no. She thinks I'm so accident prone. <laughs> so we look at our problems from the same level that they come in. And, we, and as Christians, we cannot do that. We cannot look at our problems from human wisdom. We cannot look at our problems at face value. Because that's the way the world does it. 
And we have to live from a different set of standards. We have to live in a, in a reality that's superior to what they're living in. Because how are they ever going to want in unless we're different? How are they going to ever want? You see, the reason in the Old Testament, what he commanded and what he, what he desired for the Israelites is that they would be so different, that they would be so blessed, that they would live in such a different reality, blessed by God, that the nations would say, there is a God and it's the God of Israel. And the same thing is true today. What he desires is that we would carry him so, we would represent him so well that the world sees us and says, oh my gosh, I, I need that. Oh my goodness, how is he living that way? There's no way that a human can live that way. And we say, it's true, a human can't. But someone surrendered to Jesus Christ who operates from heaven's perspective lives this way. And it's very attractive. People wonder about people who, who do this. They wonder and they watch them from a distance and they say, there's something different about that person. And the question, and the question is, are we going to be those people that make the world wonder? Let's make the world wonder about us. Let's make them wonder. When Jesus lived, everyone wondered. Everyone marveled. Everyone was saying, who is this man? He lives from a different reality than we do. Who is this man? So, brings up my next point. So, if we're looking for heaven's reality, if we're looking to live from a different perspective, from God's perspective and not, not our perspective, what is our guideline to, to know what God's perspective is, what God's reality is? And the, and, and the truth is, Jesus is heaven's reality. Jesus came to represent God. He came to represent what heaven was all about. He came to represent the goodness of his Father. John 12, 49. Jesus says, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. He came speaking what the Father was speaking. John 5, 19. Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus came to show us what heaven was like. And when he died and we resurrected, he gave us the keys. He gave us the authority and said, come on in. I want you to participate in heaven's reality on earth. So we connected to prayer. What is prayer all about then? It's about relationship with God. And what does Jesus say here? He says, I only say what my father is saying. I only do what my father's doing. So which means he had relationship. He was pretty tight with God. Which means he had a relationship and that relationship led him to a place to do everything that the father was doing. His relationship led him to say everything that the father was saying. And so how do we apply it to our lives? We live our lives in relationships so that we bring heaven's reality to earth. But apart from relationship, we can't do it. There's no formula. There's no four-step process. It's only through relationship. And the beautiful thing about it, the most gorgeous, marvelous thing about it is that he uses individual people. 
You see, God is so grand. There's so many different aspects and, and wonders of God. We can't even imagine it. And through different people, God displays parts of his goodness. That's why we're called the body of Christ, because what he gives to Nick is not the same thing that he's going to reveal to me. What he reveals to Noah and Dylan and Bobby and Ryan and Noah, what he reveals to us is not going to be the same. And when we get to partner with him and reveal that, as reveal that aspect of heaven, we get a glorious glimpse of it, because it's every person doing their part. It's a wonderful thing. So when Jesus was on earth, he saw situations totally different than everyone else. He saw people differently than, total, than, ever, like differently than everyone else. He lived in a realm that was so different that people marveled. He saw things so differently that he actually commanded the things in the physical world to obey what he said. He lived in a realm, the spiritual realm, he had these different goggles on, different glasses. He was seeing something totally different. He sees a man with leprosy. His disciples see, oh man, Jesus, you do not want to touch that dude. You are going to get infected with that leprosy. Jesus says, come here, man. Come here, man. Let me hug you. Let me hug you, man. Now, if, if you've never seen the Bible, the Bible on Netflix, you need to watch it because in that, that scene penetrates my mind because Jesus, this man that nobody wanted to touch, Jesus comes and just gives him a big old hug. He saw something different in that man that, he, that we didn't see. He saw something different in that man that his disciples didn't see. In the, in the physical world, bow down to his reality. Right. He was looking at something different. He saw that man with leprosy. He said, come here, man. The five loaves, two fish. The disciples are like, we only got like, this is all the food we have. That's like me, that's like, in the present, this is like, okay, let's feed the whole, all of access. And um, Dylan comes up and says, hey, we got like uh, one cracker and a half piece of salami. <laughs> and then we're like, dude, like, there's no way. Call Jimmy John's, but then, or <laughs> call Papa John's, but Papa John's might not deliver the pizza, so. <laughs> Ooh, that was, yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So he sees this and we look at it, oh man, we're, we're not gonna be able to feed it. Sorry guys, we can't, Jesus looks at it and goes, huh, interesting. Hmm, five loaves, two fish, good enough for me. It's just amazing what he saw. His disciples saw the situation from here. Jesus was like up here. He was like, he was like, oh, five loaves, two fish? Oh, okay. He was like, man with leprosy? Oh man, I don't, I don't even see the leprosy. All I see is a man with potential. All I see is a man who is loved by God. That's the only thing I see. So then the process of our life is about walking into a relationship with God where he reveals what he's seeing. Because Jesus said, as I am, or it's actually in 1 John 4, it says, as Jesus was in this world, so are we. Our goal is Jesus, our model is Jesus, our example is Jesus, he's the only one. And Jesus came with a totally different language. They had the language of the world, the wisdom of the world. Jesus came saying, you've heard it said, but now I say. You've heard it said, now I say. New perspective, new reality. So when we have our problems, when we have our hurts and, and sickness and, and pain 
and junk. What God's actually doing, he's trying, he's, he wants us to, to take a step up the ladder. He wants to take and, and help us look at our situations from a different perspective. He wants to help us take one step up. He's not calling you to the top. I mean, he's calling you just to take a step up, to look at your situations from just a different point of view. And then the next time you have a situation, you just take it from maybe a higher view. Our problems, I said this, I think, a month ago in one of the sermons, our problems are not problems. They're opportunities for God to come through in his promise. And the only way that we can do it is if we look at our problems through heaven's perspective. And we pray from heaven. But you say, how can we do that? That seems like so like out of this world. That's, that's for like the elite Christians. That's like for the elite Christians. It's not, it's for you. It's, he, he's invited all of us into it. This is what happens is he wants to take us and he wants to elevate us. Every, in every aspect of our life, doesn't mean if it's a positive or a negative, he wants to elevate us to another step, another view. It's called a relationship with God. And it's called relationship only happens through experiences. You can't actually have true relationship with someone unless you go through stuff with them. I can't have a strong relationship with a friend unless I go through hell with them. And the more that I go through with him, the stronger connection I have to him. It's the same thing, same thing with our relationship with God. Unless we go through things with him and allow him to teach us through the situations, we'll never, be, we'll, never, we'll never have the intimacy. And most times, those problems actually drive us away from God when they're supposed to bring us to him. So the process is elevating ourselves, allowing God to lead us up the ladder and just show us what he's looking at. Ephesians 2, 6, and 7. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. When he died, he went to the grave, he defeated hell, he resurrected, and he went to heaven and he's seated at the right hand of God. The reason he's seated there is because it's done, it's over with. Like he defeated hell and he said he gave us the authority to operate in the same way that he operated in. And it, accept, it says in Ephesians 6 here, it says that we are seated with him. Seated is a past tense verb. Which means if you believe in Jesus Christ, you believe he died, rose again, conquering sin, forgiving your sins. If you believe that, you're already seated up there. That's your position. That's your rightful position, but you have a choice to sit there or not. You have a choice to look through the lens of Jesus or you have a choice to look through the lens of the world. And the whole process of Christianity, the whole process of our relationship with God is not to be at the top, but it's to take one step at a time through every experience that we have to start looking at things through God's perspective, through a relationship with him. And if we start seeing from heaven's perspective, our prayers will change. We'll start looking at our situations from a totally different light. For example, if somebody comes to me and they, and they, and they cut me off in, in, while I'm driving, I'm like, oh my, I'm gonna get him, I'm gonna go right, right in the bottom. Stare at him, maybe look at him. Look at him again. That's a simple thing. You know, we all do it. 
But when we live in God's reality, like this is, so a, a question that I ask myself is, God, what's going on in there? Sometimes it's just ignorance around the phone, whatever, it's not. But sometimes God will actually give you a glimpse saying, they're just really hurting. That person, they're just hurting. And when you can hurt for someone, you can't be hurt by them. And, and, and what it comes down to is our identity. Back to identity. Sometimes we think that God's so mad at us. He's so disappointed at us. So it, because we see ourselves that way, we actually start seeing other people that same way. If, if, if he's mad at me, then I can be mad at you. But if we look at God, his perspective, and we, and we think about it, there's no way God's mad at us. If he's mad at us, he never would have sent a son because he's timeless. He knew what was going to happen. So we look, he's not mad at us. If he's not mad at me, how can I be mad at you? Something simple. Someone comes up to you and at work, you're at work or you're at school, and they come up to you and they, and they say a snarky remark. Nice shoes. You're like, are you really saying that I have nice shoes or are you saying that I don't have nice shoes when you say that I have nice shoes? Right. And we, we focus so much on the shoes that we don't even look. We don't give them the benefit of the doubt. We automatically assume that they're trying to demean us and that's not living from heaven's perspective. That's not. Do you think Jesus was... If somebody can, nice sandals, dude. <laughs> At least one person thought that was funny. <laughs> so he lives, he lives in heaven and we're seated with him. And then in Romans 8, 34, who then is the one who condemns? No one, Christ who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and he's praying for us. <laughs> Oh man, therefore he is able, and then Hebrews 7, 25, I'm getting ahead of myself. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for him, for them. He's praying for us, God. He's praying for those who are in Christ and he's praying for those who are not in Christ. And this is what I talked about in the, in the very first thing. Wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall for that prayer? Huh. I wonder what Jesus is praying about the people who are in Christ. I wonder what Jesus is praying about the people who aren't in Christ. I wonder if this is his prayer. God, uh, just, just, just help Johnny. Just comfort him. I pray these prayers, guys. I'm just trying to make fun of myself. God, you know, he's just going through a really rough time. Just maybe give him a break. God, maybe just help him. You know, when you pray, I do this, if you, when you pray, if it sounds silly to put it in the mouth of God, don't pray it. If it sounds silly and you say, there's no way Jesus who's sitting at the right hand of God would ever pray that, don't pray it. Because what's more powerful, you requesting God to do something from heaven or you putting yourself in allowing the Holy Spirit to show you what Jesus is praying and praying from heaven. Amen. And I tell you it's possible. I'll tell you why. In 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 12, I love this. Oh my gosh. These are the things 
God has revealed to us by a spirit, Holy Spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. He searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is Okay, the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. You guys, Holy Spirit is a much better search engine than Google. He actually searches the deep things of God and he allows us to walk into that place of his mind and think his thoughts. That's incredible. But we... Limit the Holy Spirit to only convicting us of our sin. Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. No, Holy Spirit wants to reveal God's thoughts about you. Amen. And if it's anything less than that, it's not enough. It's so supernatural, I can't explain it, I can't teach about it, I can't give you a three-step process. It's so supernaturally powerful that you have to have an encounter with God to get it. And if you can't explain, if you can't explain it, it's not the thing. Because God is so much greater than anything that we can explain that if we can explain it, it's not enough. We haven't gone far enough. Holy Spirit wants to have such a relationship with you that you get to go and enter the realm of God's thoughts and see from his perspective. It's not too far off for us to, to pray God's thoughts. It's not too far off to pray from heaven's perspective because he seated us with him and he's given us his thoughts. Are you accessing those thoughts? You can't search on Google unless you get on the internet and you type in the keywords. You will not access God's thoughts on accident. You will not. It's only intentionally submitting yourself in humility. You know why? It's, the key is humility. The key is humbleness because God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. It means that we need to position ourselves in a place where we can receive so freely. We need to be the best receivers in the world. Because if we can't receive, we're not walking in humility. If we make it about our attempts to be able to access God's thoughts and our declarations and pride in accessing his thoughts, we'll never have his thoughts. We need to be humble. Let's get inside his mind, guys. Let's take advantage of that. Like, you can't take advantage of God. Like, you can't. He's waiting for someone to take advantage of him. He's like, I, I, I've given you my thoughts. Do you want them? Like, if you, so when we read the Bible, so let's say um, Chronicles of Narnia. So you're like reading Chronicles of Narnia. It's confusing. It's like, oh my gosh, there's so many books. There's like nine of them, whatever. Like, and there's spots you're reading, you're like, that makes no sense. How cool would it be to have like C.S. Lewis sitting right beside you and like, he's, he's like, oh, that's what I meant by that. That's just, the, the reality is, is God's given us that in Holy Spirit. He's given us that and it's so powerful. So then our prayer life is not about being at the top step, but it's about gaining heaven's perspective one step at a time through experience. Saying, I know, God, I know I have your thoughts. Show me what you're looking at here. Show me what's going on here. 
Show me what you want to be for me in this. Show me what promise I need to start agreeing with. Show me, God, because I need to live in a realm that's so powerful. I need to live in a position where I'm submitting to your perspective. I can't live in the wisdom of the world. I cannot live in it because it leads to death. So our life, prayer life is about gaining perspective through relationship. So every time something comes up, positive, negative, we take a step up and we start realizing the depths of God's love, the depths of his perspective, and the endlessness, the limitless that is, that there is with relationship with God. So when things come our way, we don't look at, it, at them with face value, we look at them from above. And we say, oh, that? Oh, dude, dude, dude just don't worry. Like, I can see what's gonna happen. Like, just, it's okay. It's okay. And it's not about being at the top. It's about making our way up. It doesn't matter where you're at. You could be higher in the ladder than some people, but you need to be going up. And it's through humility, receiving that from him. You can't earn it, God. We can't earn it. I'm going to end with this. Effective prayer isn't about saying the right things. It's about, it's about seeing the right things. Effective prayer isn't about saying the right things. It's about seeing the right things. We need to see what God sees. So imagine this. Imagine this. We get, we get to enter into a, a place where we get to see what God sees. We get to say what God says. We get to think what God thinks. So when we pray... We declare what he's seeing with boldness because it's coming from him. There's no, there's, there's no coming at it. God, no. When you see from heaven, you, you speak it with boldness. And at the end of the prayer, we say, in Jesus' name, amen. Do you know what amen means? Amen means so be it. And imagine, just imagine that we see from heaven, we see from God's perspective and we look down on our situations and we say, so be it. That's much more powerful. That's much more effective than taking it for face value and saying, God, please do something about it. It's a different way to pray. It's relationship. And you're transformed daily through it. And it's so much fun. It's so exciting. It's a full contact sport. Christianity. Pay no attention to my, to my helpers. So I have two questions that can help us and that I want to encourage you to think about as we're going into worship. First question. It's pretty simple. God, how do you see the situation? Or God, how do you see that person? Because if we can ask God what he sees it will bypass our emotions and our assumptions about that person. And we actually might even get a little glimpse of what God's seeing and it will give us mercy for them or mercy for that situation. The second question that we can ask is, God, what do you want to be for me today that you couldn't be for me yesterday? So when problems occur, it's just an opportunity for God to come through on his promise. God, what do you want to be for me today that you couldn't be for me yesterday. So if you have a sickness, if you have an injury, God wants to be your healer today because he couldn't be your healer yesterday because you weren't sick. 
he wants to enter you into a relationship where he reveals his goodness to you on a daily basis. Anything less than that is, is just not good enough. It's not. So as we get into worship, I want you to think about those thoughts. I want you to think about heaven's perspective. What is God saying? And I want you to ask for heaven's perspective. Ask God to show you his reality, because he will. So Tiffany and I were, were talking about worship yesterday. And you can stand up. And I thought, why is worship so effective? Why is worship so amazing? Why is it so just incredible? And the answer that I got, or the thing that we talked about, was our worship is more like prayer than anything. It's more like our, it's, it's more like our prayer life with God and what it should look like. And the reason why we feel so encouraged is because that's what we're supposed to have on a daily basis. And it's a glimpse of what we could have every single day. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17 and 18 says, Rejoice always. Isn't that what we do when we worship? We rejoice, we praise God, we thank God. It says, Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for your life in Christ Jesus. So we rejoice, and in the times of silence, we pray and we communicate with God, and we, and we think about how good he is, and then we give thanks again, and then we declare how good he is. You guys, it's just a glimpse of what you can have every single day. So in this time of worship, I just invite you, I encourage you to see, what is God looking at right now? Ask God, when you look down at access, what are, what are you looking at? What are you seeing? When you look to your neighbor, God, what are you seeing in them? What are you seeing in them? Allow God to take you into a relationship where he reveals to you his reality. I want to pray. Dear God, I thank you for how good you are. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for Holy Spirit who reveals all things to us. You are not holding anything back from us, God. And I declare right now, this is a, this is a time where we will worship you. We will declare your praises. We will, de we will declare your goodness. We will declare your wonder, God. And we tear down, we just tear down any walls, any, any borders that we place on you. We do not limit you. We say, God, you are amazing. You are a limitless God. So we thank you for that. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.